Here we are with our lesson. Now, this is a part three of a series on the Holy Spirit, the nature and function of the Holy Spirit. We've covered uh, in the two other lessons, the first one had to do with the nature of the Holy Spirit, who he is. We found out uh, some of the Holy Spirit's names. We found out that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not just an essence or a power, which is what many uh, groups of Christians believe, but that the Holy Spirit is actually a person, just like Jesus is a person, just like God is an individual person. And there's many reasons behind that. Um, you know, a, a, a power can't be grieved is just one example. Also, the pronouns that Jesus used when talking about the Holy Spirit and when he is come. And so there's many of those things that we covered. If you missed that lesson or interested in that topic at all, I encourage you to go and check it out. And then the second lesson that we did was about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and how that there is a distinct difference between the function of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament where we're at today. And so it wasn't the same throughout all uh, the dispensations, uh, if you would. Pastor Bill, I think, talked about... Uh, dispensationalism a few weeks ago. It may have been on a Wednesday night, but I think he went over that as well. But the Holy Spirit's work has not always been the same uh, throughout human history. And uh, anyways, I'm trying not to go off topic. So we come to his work here in the New Testament. Some of what we're going to look at today is we get reference of it from uh, Jesus's prediction, uh, I should say his prophecy about what was going to happen uh, when the Holy Spirit comes. So let's get into it. There's no way possible that we're going to be able to uh, cover every single detail that the Holy uh, of, of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not going to be able to co cover every single one because we will be here for a very, very long time. I think I've got six of them, maybe seven of them, something like that. Uh, hopefully we'll look at, I, I doubt we'll have time to finish all of it, but maybe in a week or two uh, coming up before uh, Brother Todd comes back, maybe we'll get a chance to uh, finish it. We'll start out with the first one. I tried to do these in somewhat of an order, based off um, salvation um, to, of course, maybe our final redemption, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So, when we talk about when I'm talking here about the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the way the Holy Spirit convicts people, what I'm referring to predominantly here is not how he convicts saved believers. Because we also know that that's another area that every one of us who are saved, <clears throat> we've had times where we've been in sin, uh, maybe we're tempted to do something that we know is against God's will, and the Holy Spirit will convict us. Say, no, don't do that. <clears throat> no, that's not right. And primarily, that's not what I'm looking at here. We're looking at the conviction of unsaved people and how he uh, convicts them. So let's look at it real quick. John 16, verse 8. This is Jesus' words. He says, and when he is come, remember I mentioned the pronouns earlier about the Holy Spirit is a person, not just an essence. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. A few weeks ago, I preached on a Sunday night, and I preached, I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, reprove, re rebuke, and exhort. 
And so I did go over what the definition of that was on that lesson. Some of you may have not been here, um, so I'd go over it again just so we, you, you've got the meaning behind it. Reprove means to convict, to refute, or uh, to bring to light. And so how the Holy Con Spirit convicts people is by bringing their sin to light. But it's not just limited to him letting people know that they are sinners. Because I think every person that's ever lived knows that they've done wrong by our conscience, which is another, which is something that God has given each and every one of us. Now, the Holy Spirit and the conscience are two different things. I think they work together. The Holy Spirit will work with the conscience uh, to, to bring people uh, to their need of a Savior. But predominantly, people know, generally know that they are sinners. We go If we were going to go back to Acts chapter 1, no, not Acts chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, and we see uh, Paul's opening, opening chapter there to the Romans and how he uh, talked to them about how when uh, people, when they uh, knew God or when they realized who God was, they didn't worship him as God. And it gives the impression that everybody, I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. It gives the impression to us that everybody has some sort of a knowledge. I mean, you go anywhere in the world, and all these different religions are made up because they feel like in some way, shape, or form that they have done something that has displeased some higher power that's out there, and they have to make a retribution or, uh, for their sins in one way or another. And so in the heart of man, we see that the conscience works. And when the conscience works, uh, some people, they sear their conscience. We hear some terrible things uh, on the news. And I mean, there's a trial going on right now. You've probably been keeping up with it, maybe, about an uh, individual who did some terrible things at a school. And they just blew past, that guy just blew past his conscience, totally blew past it. And so that is possible, uh, but the Holy Spirit does work in line with the conscience there. Um, what does he do when he convicts the world? Well, it says of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9 says of sin. Why? I like how when Jesus gives explanations. I like when you read a parable and Jesus goes back and he tells his disciples what the parable means. And if you ever don't uh, know exactly uh, what something means in the Bible, uh, don't be too discouraged. Jesus' 12 closest people, they were they struggled through it. But he gives us uh, an idea about what he's talking about, of sin, because they believe not on me. And so his ministry is not just co to convict people of sin, but primarily to convict them of the sin of unbelief of Jesus Christ. Because conviction of sin alone will not save somebody. They need to overcome the sin of unbelief in order to be saved from their sin. So he does that. Next, of, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. I think about when I, when I think of this verse right here, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Jesus was the greatest example of righteousness that a person could have. Now, in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 2, I should say, Acts chapter 2, whenever the day of Pentecost happened, 
and Peter was preaching to those men, he was talking to people who seemed that, I mean, he accused them of crucifying Jesus, people who were actually a part of it. So what in the world happened in the short amount of time before they're sitting there, you know, saying crucify him, crucify him, to now all of a sudden they're in realization that Jesus Christ is righteous. He really did nothing wrong. He was not justifiably killed and that he truly is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. I mean, yes, I think the, the signs got their attention. And you can read through that story about, you know, the Holy Spirit coming as a mighty rushing wind and, uh, you know, the fire above their heads and whatnot. I'm not going to get into all that. But there was some, some things that would have got your attention, would have got my attention. How about the fact that they were speaking in many different languages at one time? That gets your attention. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit was doing a work in their heart at that moment. And causing them not only to realize their sin, but to realize their sin of unbelief. And that Jesus Christ really was who he said he was. And lastly, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. By the way, I like that. Because the prince of this world is judged. It doesn't say the prince of this world is going to be judged. It's already a done deal. I like that. I don't know about you. The war's already done. I get all upset and maybe you do too, about injustices that happen in the world, wrongful. We see on the news all the time about these atrocities uh, that get committed, and it seems like there's no judgment. But Jesus makes it plain and clear that all of that has been totally settled already. And so he's reminding people that there's going to be a judgment that's going to come, and that Satan is already judged, and we don't want to be in that group with him. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit is the regeneration, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, how he, he regenerates people unto salvation. I'm going to skip. I had my wrong notes there. Here we go. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the story of Nicodemus. And Jesus is talking about regeneration here. Now, regeneration is a fancy word. We would say for rebirth, or as us Baptists like to say, born again. Now, most, you know, I've not come across a lot of other, if you want to classify them as denominations that say born again. But Baptist people, we like saying born again. It's scriptural. It's, it's Bible. First um, Peter one twenty three says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We were physically born. Jesus was explaining this to Nicodemus, that a man has to not only be born of, of um, water. Is that maybe where you here Of water and of spirit. That's right. Water and of spirit. And so we're born physically, and we're born physically with sin, with a sin nature. But in order to be regenerated, to have a rebirth, to be born again, we must be born of the Spirit, and that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit here. Rege regeneration is a radical change. Don't ever think that the salvation of a soul is something that is minor. 
Most people, when they trust Christ as their Savior, they have no idea that, you know, this fancy word, regeneration, is actually taking place. Many Christians uh, don't discover that for a long time. Some never discover it, but that doesn't mean it hasn't taken place just because we don't understand everything that's going on. Pastor Bill, uh, you've probably heard his illustration before about um, when a, a woman conceives when she conceives a child, at that moment of conception, there is a lot of things that are going on, things that are way beyond our understanding, things that scientists are still just now trying to figure out and wrap their minds around. There's a lot taking place there. And when we come to these ministries of the Holy Spirit, except especially as we talk about the next uh, two or three of them that happen at the moment of salvation, we, we're not going to get it all. But we know and we can be sure uh, that the Holy Spirit is at work and there is big things that are happening. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It almost seems to be, uh, I'm thankful that I don't have to be uh, the final judge about who is saved and who's not saved. But, when a person truly does get born from above, they truly get born again, they get regenerated, there is a change that takes place. Now, you're not going to be all you're going to be at the moment of your salvation. The Holy Spirit starts the birth, and just like a baby is born, it starts off small. It starts out with a, a child who's immature, a child who can't put their shoes on yet. Man, I like it when they can put their own shoes on. I like that. I like when I can say, hey, go get me that remote and bring it over here. And they begin to learn. And they begin to develop. And they're not all they're going to be. But that work gets started. And just like a birth is, is, is radical. I mean, when I think about my three children, it's, it's almost like a fog. Those of you that have had children, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's almost like a fog when you think back about what was going on. I remember the first two, Heather had you know some pain medicine for the first two, and then the third one, she lost her mind and said, I'm just going to do it you know, natural. And I do remember that very clearly. But it was, I mean, there were, there were some big things and some drastic things taking place at that moment. And that's what it's like when a, a, a child of God, when, when someone is born into the family of God, and there's a new birth, big things happen, big changes happen. And we'll see, and as, as you, you all have led people to the Lord throughout the years, and you've seen how the Holy Spirit works in their heart, and I could even name five or ten people in this room right now, that after they were born from above, that things began to happen, and began to miraculously change, which, you know, is totally, can, can undeniably be, uh, can't be questioned that it was of the Holy Spirit 100%. It's important to note before we move on that regeneration only happens at the moment of salvation. And let me say this, it never is repeated again. I don't believe the Bible teaches you can lose your salvation. Uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But first, but first, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is another ministry, again, happening at the moment of 
salvation. It was predicted by John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 11. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Sounds familiar to the day of Pentecost for sure. Um, this ministry serves distinctly as a ministry to add people to the body of Christ. Jesus also made the distinction about this is not water baptism, by the way. This is not water baptism. Some people get this confused and they think this is when you're baptized. You come to, you know, in front of other believers and you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They get mixed up. There's a lot of false truth out there. There's a lot of false doctrine. That's not true. This happens at the moment of salvation, not at physical water baptism. Jesus, he says, For John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, and not many days hence. That was in Acts chapter 1. Remember, the day of Pentecost happened just a, not long later, not, not long after in Acts chapter number 2. And so there is a distinction there. Uh, it joins people to the body of Christ. I'm not a Catholic. You know that. I don't have a Catholic bone in my body. Um, had a grandmother who was Catholic, but it doesn't doesn't pass down like that. Uh, you know, Baptists often stay away from the use of the word the universal church. Um, primarily, I think because the Catholics go way overboard with it, they go extremely overboard with it. But when you're saved, you are born, you are baptized into the body of Christ. We're going to look at, or you could call it the invisible church if you don't like that term whatsoever, but the saved group of all believers that have ever been saved. Um, only belongs to this dispensation, by the way. This did not happen in the Old Testament. happened uh, day of Pentecost. It occurs at salvation only, just like regeneration uh, takes place only at salvation. Um, it is experienced by all believers, not just by some. You don't have to wait to get it. It happens immediately at salvation. Uh, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, I don't think we could take that verse. I'm not here to do this lesson on universal church or whatever, and, and um, nor am I really promoting that type of uh Teaching, but there is a group of saved uh, believers that make up the body of Christ. We're going to be all united one day together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be great. And so he's right here. He's not talking about the local church. He's talking about the saved group of all believers. It occurs at salvation, as I mentioned, and is is um, never repeated again. Ephesians four or five says, "One Lord, one faith." One baptism, that one baptism, not talking about uh, water baptism, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Moving on, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have quite a few slides here, may be able to get through this section, probably be the final section before uh, we'll have to put the brakes on it and pick it up at another time. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've learned that the Holy Spirit convicts, He regenerates, uh, He baptizes. And he also indwells. And this is one of the most uh, foundational ministries of the Holy Spirit. This is one that does get talked about a lot. Uh, and knowing 
knowing and understanding that the Holy Spirit does dwell inside of uh, every believer. Um, one definition somebody said, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer. Now in the Old Testament, again, this is for this dispensation. Uh, the church age, maybe the age of grace, whatever you want to call it. Um, this is for our time period. In the Old Testament, there's no in inclination whatsoever that the Holy Spirit indwelt believers. We do know he came upon some, did a whole lesson about that, not going to get all into it for time's sake. Um, but this is a New Testament doctrine. Let's look at a few verses here. Uh, Jesus, he prophesied of the indwelling of the Holy of the Spirit. It says in John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, <clears throat> for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Paul uh, describes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? We quote this one a lot. I got this one quoted to me all the time, by my parents, by my teachers, because I was bad. Um, no, you're not. That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. In the Old Testament time, we see when God <clears throat> called the people out from Egypt unto himself. We know it started with Abraham, uh, but it, the story really picks up and takes some ground when we come in Egypt. And uh, through God's enabling, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And what's one of the first things that God, God does? They're camped out at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They're given rules. I think there was about a year's time or so before they uh, picked up and moved. And that year's time was about uh, them being sanctified, getting out of the world, uh, teaching them how to be separate. And they had a bunch of rules and things that they were supposed to live by. Uh, law was given. The law was given to them. And one of the things that they were to build a tabernacle, a tabernacle, and that was a, a mobile version of the temple that was going to be built. But even at the beginning of uh, Israel, when it, Israel's uh, as a nation, when it was being assembled, God wanted his presence with his people. And then we see how that carried on throughout the Old Testament and sacrifices were made and, um, you know, the blood and bulls and goats never saved anybody. But it was in faith, uh, just like when the Israelites put the blood on the doorpost uh, and when the angel passed over, um, you know, they were alleviated from uh, facing the same judgment that the, uh, it, that the Egyptians went through. And it was an act of faith. And we see how that carried on throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment for our sin. And now, instead of having a physical place, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell at Gospel Baptist Church. We don't have a special room like they did in the Holy of Holies where they, you know, only the high priest could go in there and could be the intercessor between God and man and offer, you know, sacrifice for sins. No, no longer do we have that. And we don't have it in a church setting. It's in each and every one of you. Hope you feel privileged to be able to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's pretty amazing. When we think about the, the strenuous, uh, Brother Todd Whiff, I think he probably went through, again, I didn't get to 
get to hear all of his lessons about the temple. He probably went through and uh, listed, you know, all the things that the priest had to go through before he would go into the Holy of Holies. Now he had to be perfectly clean. He couldn't have any, you know, he couldn't be in sin at all. You know, they would tie a rope around his leg. That's in case, you know, he sinned in there. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. And he'd go in there in a holy place. Now, that's inside of us. It's pretty amazing. So God forbid, if we take advantage of that, like Paul says this Corinthians church, he says, oh my goodness, if you only knew, if you only knew how privileged you are, how blessed you are, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, uh, would make us change our ways. Ephesians uh, 1, 7, talking about the sacrifice of the Old Testament, says, Now in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Good things. Let's look at one more here. The people who are indwelt. The people who are indwelt. The indwelling spirit is a gift from God to all believers. Uh, A number of passages, they clearly teach that the spirit is given to all believers rather than select some. Pentecostals, from what I hear, uh, I hear a lot of chatter about it. I know there's a lot of different variations of Pentecostals, um, just like there's a lot of variations of Baptists, and we know that. Um, But I do hear that numbers of Pentecostal folks, they do think that the Holy Spirit only indwells certain people. And they link it all to the gifts of the Spirit. No, you've got to be able to speak in tongues and many different things. It's not true. It's not Bible. Acts 11, 16, and 17 says, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them like uh, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Who gets it? The people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have realized your sin, repentance towards God, I believe Pastor Bill preached on it a few weeks ago, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, turn to him, you have the Holy Spirit of God living and indwelling inside of you. As we finish up this point here with one more, one more slide just for this, the people who are indwelt. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Can I make a statement about Romans chapter 5 here? Paul the Apostle had not been to the church at Rome yet. Going back to how all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul had never been there. If he believed like the Pentecostals believed that you had to have certain spiritual gifts and different things in order to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he would not have written that. He would have specified, but he didn't. He made a broad statement to the church that was at Rome, the Christians there, that they given to us. He's including them in it. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Um, the Corinthian church had a lot of sin that was going on in it. Some people say, well, you're only indwelled if you don't have sin in your life. That's, that's more of the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is a, something down the road we'll get to. But as far as the indwelling, he was writing to a group of people who were doing some terrible, terrible sin. For time's sake, I won't get into it. 
And then the last verse that I have here is 2 Corinthians 5, 5, um, in his second book, his second letter uh, to them. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, which is like a down payment. And we'll talk about that when we come to the sealing portion. And there's a neat little analogy and why Paul used uh, the sealing uh, to the Ephesians there. And that'll help us uh, maybe understand that a little bit. Um, but we're looking forward to the day of our redemption. Jesus, no, Paul, Paul wrote and said that the entire creation is groaning, waiting for the redemption to take place. Hasn't happened yet. We're still, our bodies are still getting older. We've got loved ones here that are on the brink of heaven. But we're looking forward to the day that we'll be redeemed. Totally. Um, we're waiting for the adoption. And so anyway, so ministries of the Holy Spirit. A uh, few of them that we went over. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we finished up here with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So. These things are online. If if I move too fast for you, I apologize. I did try to go slow, slow as I can. I'm 29. It's hard to slow down. Uh, you can go back, look at them online. I hope it'll help you. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for the lesson here. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're so privileged, New Testament believers, that uh, we get this ministry of the Holy Spirit. How each and every one of us has the Holy Spirit uh, living inside of us. How that at our salvation, you were doing an amazing work in each one of our lives, and we didn't really even uh, know all that was taking place. Uh, but we're thankful as we look into your word and see the truths of what happened in our lives. Uh, we're privileged to do it. Uh, may you uh, keep us from sin and help us live pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.